Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, Episode 83. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we have seen with Charles that he hasn't seen. This week, we watched the 1973 movie, The Sting. So Charles, tell us about it. Okay, so the main character is Robert Redford playing Johnny Hooker. And he's a con artist, um, but he cons the wrong person one day and ends up with a ton of money. Um, but the money is tied to a mob boss, uh, so that gets his partner killed. Um, so he wants to try to score a big con on the mob boss to get revenge for his partner. Um, so he goes to Chicago and meets up with um, someone his partner told him about. Um, and they go through this very elaborate plot of setting up like a fake horse betting ring uh, to convince the mob boss to bet on a certain thing and put a ton of money on it all at once. Uh, and they even have the FBI on them. Um, but when the final day comes, it turns out that the FBI were also in on the heist. They were actually just fellow car and artists pretending to be the FBI to get the corrupt cops off their tail. Um, and they successfully conned the guy out of $500,000, which was a big deal back in 1936. Uh, and they walk away with the money. Yes. Um this was this was my selection, um, and I love this movie. This this is one of those movies that I've seen a million billion times. Um, I think I saw it the first time when I was in middle school, and like basically didn't understand what was going on because it's super complicated. Um, but I've seen it many times since then, to the point where like it, it's probably been a couple like almost three or four years since I've seen it, but there are still like obscure specific lines that I remember, mm-hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> while I'm while I watched it the other day for this show. Um, so I, I adore this movie. I think I, the weird 30s slang, like the Redford and Newman dynamic, the super complicated con artist stuff, like all of the, all the like weird characters that populate this made up world. Like I, I, I can't say enough good things about this movie. It's just a sheer joy to me if, every time I watch it. I love this movie. What do you think of this movie, Crossman? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, we were talking a little about Ocean's Eleven off. Air yeah, and similar to that. Very similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, the sort of charm of the modern and older Ocean's Eleven, I think, is here. Yes, uh, just with less famous actors or super famous actors. Yeah. Two really <laughs> famous actors, and then a bunch of much a, less a ton of much less other famous. actors. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's a huge cast. There's so many people in this movie. Well, and Robert Shaw. And Robert Shaw. You're right. The, the great Shaw. Robert Shaw. Yes. Yeah. Um, who you'll recall from Jaws. He's the right. The, I knew he looked familiar. He's the, mob the boat boss. captain and yeah. the mob boss. Doyle Lonigan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is a charming movie. It's just. And a, it's so fun. Like yeah. every time I watch it, like I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. I know every single twist, <laughs> and it's still just a blast. What's like, the uh, historical significance of this movie? Because I feel like I still hear it referenced every once in a while. Today. Yeah. It won Best Picture. Um, so in that sense, it is historically significant. Um, yeah. It is a reteaming of. Redford Newman and um, George Roy, Roy Hill, who did, did uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid together before this, okay. and that's where we get the Sundance Film Festival. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, so, in that sense, like just that it's those guys coming together again, um, it, it it matters, um, and I'm pretty sure that if like it has influenced other heist movies, like because this is basically just a heist movie, mm-hmm. um, and I think that this being the one that won the Oscar. Um, and feature two giant big name actors in it, um, you'll see its influence in other 
Like yeah. Ocean's Eleven, like Logan Lucky that came out last year, movies like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this movie, I guess we'll just start with my favorite thing, because my favorite thing in this movie is the poker scene. Because uh, mm. I think on the train. Yes, <laughs> I think that is an all-time great poker scene. <laughs> I like a movie with a train scene. This has yes, this yeah. has a train, multiple train scenes because they spend a while on that train, and a poker scene inside of it, which makes it even better. Yeah, <laughs> I, very Bond-like. Yes, yes, it is. Cause, yeah, because the other great poker scene, if we're talking about like all-time great poker scenes, I think it's a toss-up between this one and and. Casino Royale, mm -hmm. like that Casino Royale poker scene is it's, good. It's really hard to make poker seem exciting. It's not, especially five card draw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is an absurd skillless game. Yes, like, yeah. <laughs> it totally. Is. Yeah. Well, these cards don't help me. I'll just toss this, them. Yeah, maybe yeah. this random three cards will help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was I dealt a good hand? Yeah. No. I guess I lose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. It doesn't even. Yeah, it doesn't have the like sneakiness of. Of modern of, poker, yeah, of stud yeah. and yeah, yeah, or hold them rather, yeah, hold um, yeah, and yeah. So I, I don't understand the appeal. I've played five card uh, draw, and it's stupid. It is stupid. Like it's I think it like just guessing. It was around like two two thousand when Hold'em yes was starting to get broadcast on an ESPN. ESPN. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the stakes started to get like really really high, and it was like early online poker. Mm -hmm. And it was it's so boring to watch. Yes, it's so boring to watch. Yeah, I I, yeah. I, I know that there are people there. Are, there's a lot to it, and like you can get into it, and like there's all sorts of weird poker lingo and strategies and like next level shit that you can pull. Yeah, it's really hard to play. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, the players the players are spectacular. Yeah, and like the you'll see the same yeah. people do pretty well a lot of the time. So there must be something skillful to it. But man, oh man, I don't understand it. And I don't want to watch it except in movies. There's also yeah. a, a similar like moneyball dynamic to it, yeah. where like old school poker players were good at the time, but now like internet players are so much better. Well, because you can yeah. play you know twenty hands at once and yeah. just run a bunch of algorithms about what you bet when. And yeah, like, that's the game. Like, yeah, that's all it is. And that's not good. That's not interesting. <laughs> yeah, there there are a lot of poker movies and. Yeah, there's only a few that made it seem interesting. Yeah, I, I remember liking Rounders at the time that I saw it, but I saw it when I was like 14. Yeah, and I feel like anything with you know Matt Damon and Edward Norton and John Malkovich would seem pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know how well that movie holds up. Uh, there's the spacey like college. Yeah. One. No, that was uh, a blackjack movie. Yeah, it was blackjack. Twenty-one. Yep. I was still like 21? had yes. nothing to do with the game. It was like this totally made up like backstabbing e story. Right. Well, and the the yeah. interesting blackjack movie moment is in Rain Man, right? When Tom Cruise takes Dustin Hoffman, his autistic brother, to the casino to count cards because he's autistic and he can do that, <laughs> and you get, they get kicked out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree that I don't want to go watch poker actually be played because that. Yeah, that I mean great. it's always about the dynamics of the people playing. Right, exactly. Darts and billiards are like even more interesting oh, to watch. Definitely. They're not that interesting to watch. Oh, right. Well, I, that's why like movies like The Hustler and uh, Color of Money, also both with Paul Newman, are so great because like actually seeing pool. Be that's not the only reason, but actually seeing pool being played is cool. Right? Like, it looks cool. There's something yeah. Yeah. that's fundamentally kind of rad about uh, about billiards. Um, and poker doesn't always have that. Oh. But I think what makes this scene here in The Sting interesting is that they're cheating. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the poker. It's nothing yeah. to do with cheating at poker. <laughs> like, that is the, the fun part of it. Just like the, the absurd character that 
Paul Newman puts on and the game not really being poker, but like who Just can cheat better? Drunk. Yeah, who can, who can cheat better at poker? Um, that I think what is, is is so great about it for me. Lonigan as a mob boss doesn't feel as scary as some of like say the Godfather like mob bosses are. Right. Like, whereas like yeah. if you wrong them in any way, like then they're they're gonna kill you. Right. Like for sure. And here he's like surprisingly not murdering. <laughs> Forgiving, yeah. yeah. Too yeah. soft. Well, he does, he is trying to kill Redford the whole movie, right? Yeah. And he kills his partner at the beginning of the movie, Yeah. Um, which initiates the whole thing. Yeah. He kills the money runner that got scammed, his employee, and... Does he? Like, yes. Yeah. You don't, it doesn't happen on screen. Okay. It doesn't happen on screen. Yeah. But they mentioned that that guy ends up dead on a train track or something. Um, and that's when Redford has that great line, he's like, screw him, he can blow his nose all the way because he gave him a bunch of tissues in the, <laughs> in the back end, which cracks me up. Um, so he kills those guys. Um, and then Redford, when he's pretending to be Kelly after the poker game, yeah. he has that line to Lonigan where he, Lonigan threatens to kill Redford, and he says, it's not going to look too good you killing a guy that you owe money to, which I think is... The story's excuse for him not just killing not, him. not killing him outright. Yeah, yeah, but like the whole way through the movie, the mob boss just seems like kind of a chump being dragged along with this plot, which he is, but like he just <laughs> yeah. seems like kind of a dopey idiot the whole I, way. Oh, for me, I, I guess Robert Shaw just reads it so menacing to me. Yeah. That just the way he growls every single line and the, I mean, that he is legitimately going after to kill Redford after an amount of money that wouldn't support him for two days, which is true. Right, like that, like because it's eleven thousand dollars that he loses on that scam, mm -hmm. and it's fifteen thousand that he loses in the poker game. Right, like the eleven thousand dollars. Right, yeah. doesn't matter. Right, like it's not about the eleven thousand yeah. dollars. And yeah. I think that that aspect of it, just that the amount of money is so trivial to him, um, is important. Um, whereas it, it's like life changing for everybody that stole it. Yeah, it's still not like a casino where, like, at the end of the movie, like everybody gets killed. Right. Yeah. Right. Nobody gets killed. <laughs> yeah. Really, like that. Yeah. Which I think is kind of the point that it's it's this gangster movie that's like a non-violent gangster movie. Yeah. It makes it more lighthearted. Right. It's yeah. a fun. I mean, some people still get shot. Some, some people do get killed, but there there is. Yeah. The the woman that turns out to be the hit the hit person yes. gets shot in the head. <laughs> the original partner. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a good the, shot. Yeah. That guy gets shot, and then the guy that lost all the money gets killed off screen. Yeah. And other than that, like. That's so, it. Well, yeah, one one part I didn't get was the guy yet. who was chasing Hooker get shot in the alley by someone. Oh, you're right. Um, which is was Loretta uh, Salino. That, that's what they were setting up there. Is that she was staked out in the diner the whole time, right? Because she's really the top notch. Yeah. Buddy, There's another hit man, man though that gets killed in the alley. She kills him. Right. She yeah, kills that's him? what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Is that she, what happened? Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, okay. you don't see the the face of the killer. You just like see the reaction from the guy that's killed. And they show the glove being yeah. put on. And it's okay. her. Yeah. Yeah. It's her. Okay. It's, it yeah, was the it just came out of nowhere, so I had no idea who was... Yeah, he has a line there where he says, like, oh, Selino, I didn't know, or whatever. And yeah, and I didn't know who Selino was supposed to be, or... Right, because it's a reveal. Like, it's one of the things. Yeah. Um, and she, yeah, she is Selino. That gets a little convoluted in the middle. Some of that is definitely hard to follow. Right. That, well, again, yeah. I've seen this movie a million times, so I know exactly what was going on. But... Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it does fit together. Like, if you sit down and, like, work it all out, like, it, it <laughs> does it makes some kind of sense. Um, her role and, like, why she's doing what she's doing. 
uh, like there's this moment where Redford goes to see her like in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. um, just I guess the 1930s version of a booty call (laughs) and she has that woman across the hall that like opens up her door and sees Redford there and that's why he wasn't killed right because that woman because there's a witness because there's a witness because that woman saw him entering her apartment and Redford has a line later on where he's like, why didn't, where he was talking to like his guardian angel guy, and yeah. he's like, why didn't she just kill me, you know, at night? And the guy says, because too many people could have saw you go in there. And like, this movie has so many little moments like that where it's just like, like a throwaway like joke line or just like a little bit of character development that is actually critical to examining or piecing together some little piece of this puzzle. And like once you like pull them all together, like this movie like becomes a whole and makes makes sense. And I I love it. Feels so carefully constructed, um, mm-hmm. in, in that sense. And it suggests really good uh, screenwriting to me that you can fit all that stuff into a coherent piece. Uh, to me, the sign of like good writing was just that it like it never felt like it got stuck anywhere. Yeah. Like yeah. it just like kind of moved. Yeah, and it, like, it, could, it knows exactly where the next place it's supposed to go with. Yeah, it's very methodical and it's like scene placement and like structured really well. Right. Well, and yeah. I think it knows exactly where the audience is at any given moment and it knows exactly how much information the audience has at any moment mm-hmm. and it uses that to such great dramatic effect. Like so it's not just about depriving information for the sake of surprise, it's about depri- depriving information for the sake of drama. And yeah. it colors so much of what this movie is and it, and it holds up to multiple watches I think because of that because you're going to get a different dramatic effect based on what you know about what these characters are doing at any given moment even if you know everything as you would on a, on a second viewing um, so like a good example is you have that moment where Redford meets up with the fake FBI, right? And the, the, from the audience's perspective, that's the real FBI, right? Like, you, yeah. you don't know as the viewer that, that that is really just there for Snyder's benefit. And the only reason they set up that whole thing was to get this crooked cop off I, of Redford's case. Yeah, so I'd seen this movie as a kid. Um, right. But <clears throat> I, when I saw this, so I didn't remember the resolution oh, okay. to the film. <laughs> Um, Nobody gets killed. That's but when, the <laughs> when the FBI stuff had happened, I was yeah. like, something Spidey Sense is going <laughs> yeah, off here where weird. Like, I'm pretty sure this is like not what it is. Right. Yeah. But yeah. The, well, what they do after that is you have this scene, because that's when Redford agrees to betray Newman. Yeah. And they have this scene later on where they're back at the carnival that Newman runs and lives in, because um, I guess he's a carny, and they, <laughs> it, they're playing cribbage. And it's like this kind of somber moment and Redford just like quits the game in the middle of it and like can't explain why he's feeling down. And what the audience is thinking right then is, oh, it's because he feels sad that he has to betray Paul Newman, but really it's like he's... Yeah, I thought back to that after. Right, he's mourning his friend and and all this. And like it plays differently based on when, what you know and how many times you've seen this movie. And I think that that's really well made uh, in that that respect. Do you like this movie, Charles? I thought it was all right. Okay. Um, I think I had a lot of trouble getting into it for basically the first half of it. There's a lot of information. Yeah, <laughs> and I couldn't keep it all straight. Um, you know, a lot of the guys looked really similar. It, it had the, like, bunch of white dudes problem, <laughs> I guess, where I couldn't tell who was who and who was named what. Most of them uh, had mustaches, who, too. Who they were, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who they were talking about. They talked really quickly in, like, the 30s slang that you were talking about, so that made it more confusing. So I wasn't always sure, like, 
you know, who they were talking to when they were talking about a certain name. Yeah. So I wasn't always sure, like, you know, who was important for what reason or what their involvement was or things like that. Um, but it all started to come together, like, once they started executing the heist. Um, and I figured out, like, who Lonergan was and all that, right? Uh, and then, like, you know, it became pretty clear what the heist actually involved, and that became really interesting. And yeah. uh, it was very fun to watch that play out and see how many... You know, different levels they had set up to get Many. everything successful. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I mean, because the movie wisely like has a moment where Redford just sits down with with Lonigan and says, "This is exactly what we're doing. Like, this is the this is yeah." That certainly helped. Yeah. Um, like, I needed I needed the movie to make it clear to me who Lonergan was. I guess yeah, he's a bomb boss. Yeah, because at the beginning, I don't know. It, it felt a little more unclear. They didn't really show him at the beginning, right? And well, it, yeah, you get a shot of like the back of him as he's playing. Poker and he, like, yeah. receives and he, the news. That, he, yeah, yeah, that what that the guy didn't get his money. Yeah, yeah, but that's one of those things where I kind of forget about it just yeah. enough that I'm confused later about it. Um, so like, I feel like modern movies have figured out different techniques to kind of alleviate this confusion that I had because normally when they're talking about the big bad or whatever, they do that like kind of cutaway shot where they're narrating over like a scene that depicting a the technique. bad guy. Yes. Um, and I like those kinds of things because it makes it very clear what's going on and it gives you a good peek into what the villain is like and things like that. And it's a thing that movies well, do a lot these days. What Ocean's Eleven does a good job of as a modern movie um, is when it introduces each of the characters, it gives you their backstory. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah you get and a little it's easy like, to like, montage. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah, those because yeah. they're, they're fun. They give you a good you know, picture of the character in question and all that. Um, whereas here, you know, most of the scenes were just kind of guys talking in a room uh, with lots, nothing extra to them. Lots of middle-aged white guys. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Lots of that. We're, we're probably known actors at the time, so maybe, like, right. the way Ocean's Eleven reads to us now, although it is a more diverse cast, um, maybe that's we, we recognize a lot of the actors. Right, it was very it's all, hard. Like, it's a lot of famous actors. Right. And maybe in the 70s, these are probably more known actors. I'm not sure. Robert Grifford is very young here, but Paul Newman, for sure, is a... Oh, he's huge. Yeah, he's yeah, huge. He, like, he, yeah. he had done Hot at this point, and yeah. he had on a hot tin roof, and, like, yeah. Butch Cassidy. And Butch Cassidy had yeah. just come out, so... Yeah, so, yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a big deal. Yeah. Um, Redford still working and still making pretty good films. He too. was in uh, um, Winter Soldier. He was in Winter oh, yeah. Soldier. <laughs> um, and he was also in a small film a few years ago, probably like five years ago, called All Is Lost. Yeah, that's a good movie. And that was like kind of got a lot of Oscar nom talk. I don't think it was nominated, but. No, I think it was, it was a little a, too artsy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was a great film. Yeah, well, it yeah. doesn't. It, that's the one where he's on a boat solo, and it's like a survival movie. And he can, mm. like, something goes wrong with the boat. There's a storm, and like yeah. he has to figure out how to save himself. And there's like basically no dialogue. Yeah, and, like, and that's the movie. It's, it's like a just, better. It's like a one-man show. Yeah, it's a better contained like Castaway. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the arty version of Castaway. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Know? It really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but he's so good in it. Yeah, um, and he's just. Yeah. A, good actor in general. He's great. Right. I'm always yeah. astounded by how much young Robert Redford looks like Brad Pitt. Really? I feel like they look identical. Man, I have not made that connection before, but maybe other people have. I uh, Okay. All right. I like I like both those guys. 
Do you are you familiar with Paul Newman, Charles? You're a car guy, so that's um, true. Yeah. I only know him through cars and watches, yeah. But I yeah. and I guess salad, salad dressing, dressing. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but I haven't seen any other of his movies. I don't think we should, because he is another. one. He had a great career, like just throughout. Butch Cassidy is great. Butch Cassidy so, is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this movie's great. Um, Road to Perdition, which he did later in his career, is also great. Yeah. Uh, he did uh, HUD. He did The Hustler. Hustler's really good. So I love that movie. Yeah. I really love that movie. You've, I didn't know you'd seen it. You have seen it? I've seen The Hustle. Oh, we yeah. should put that on the list. I'd, I'd really like to do that one. Um, so yeah, he's a phenomenal actor. He's mm -hmm. just one of the all-time greats. Um, he also ended up on Richard Nixon's enemies list. What? <laughs> which he characterized as the greatest accomplishment of his life. <laughs> which yeah. I find very amusing. Because um, he, was, he was an activist back okay. in the days. He was involved in the civil rights movement. Uh, Newman's yeah. own, like... Still is a non-profit. It gives uh, all company. Yeah, it, it they pay taxes. Everything else goes to charity. Yeah. Every other penny goes to charity. And which I, and I don't know. Well, actually, I'm not sure if that they must pay salaries to people, right? Someone works for them. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. But um, and then he was like a great car racer, too, right? He was like a good car racer. So he's like mm -hmm. really one of the rare like multi talents. Yeah, he's like pretty badass. Yeah, because yeah. he, he directed too after he was done acting. He would direct yeah. movies. He is. A, a, a remarkable talent. And yeah. his cars are now sought after, the ones that he like raced in. I bet, yeah. Yeah, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're very valuable. Like yeah. eight, he's, eight, he's big eight in the watch world too. Like um, yeah. the one he wore, like became named, the model became named after him in a way, just because he wore it a ton, is the Rolex Daytona. They call it the Paul Newman Daytona now. Huh. And the original, I mean, I told you guys about this already, but the Paul Newman Daytona, the one that he wore, auctioned off like a few months ago and it was like the most expensive watch auction in history how much was something it something like that i don't remember the exact okay. number some many many luckiest millions kid of all time <laughs> yeah yeah it. like paul yeah. newman just gave it to his son-in-law uh and his son-in-law <laughs> ended up selling it was for it the benefit of their charity i think it was his son-in-law i thought it was like an, a boyfriend of it what his daughter maybe or even that something yeah. like that but <laughs> so i think they like did more i think they did end up getting married or something like oh, that okay. but all the money, the proceeds went to, to the Paul Newman Foundation, I think. Wow. So it was to charity. That's good. That is good. Um, but yeah, uh, that's still like an iconic model of watch that people seek after. Yeah. Wow. I know his cars sell for like eight figures. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's like a, you know, uh, yeah, he's an interesting person. Like, yeah. He's a rare we one up a kind. Yeah, kind of. Really one up a kind. Yeah. Uh, speaking of lots of money, I did the. I played your game here, and I did the check to see how much five hundred thousand yeah, dollars was. Yeah, I did too. Okay. Yeah. So it looks like on the low end, <laughs> it's about seven million. All right. Uh, yeah. On the high, it depends on where in the depression this is yes. placed. <laughs> yeah. And they tell uh, you at the beginning. I think it's thirty six. Thirty six. Okay. Um, so I think this would be on the high then, which okay. is like over ten. Right. Yeah. yeah so somewhere between like it's seven a hefty and ten. Sum. Yeah, that's a that is a lot. Divided money. between one hundred people <laughs> yeah. who were involved with yeah. this one. That's the all other the thing. actors and constructors yeah. and all that. Well, I assume the actors don't get an even cut, right? Because they're just kind of extras. Right. No, they don't. Yeah, everybody does not get an even cut because they established that earlier in the movie. Because they they tell you that it's eleven thousand that they got from the switch at the the first con, and the Erie kid Erie, the guy that has the knife, got a thousand. Robert Redford got three that he lost at the roulette table, and then the remainder goes to the guy that um, was killed, the seven that he's going to retire on. Yeah. Um, and so they kind of established that rule early on that like you get 
a cut based on your level of participation rather yeah, than I mean, they're like sense. pirates. Yeah, they're like pirates. <laughs> yes. Pirate pirates had like very clear payout structures. Right, right. And, and dependent on your rank. They yeah. have it. They establish it again when they're renting out that space that becomes the fake betting studio because the yeah. guy asks them if he wants flat rate or percentage, and the landlord says, "Well, who's the mark? I mean, who's the target?" Yeah. He tells him it's Doyle Lonigan, and then he says he wants a flat rate because they don't <laughs> think he's going to get any money in <laughs> Doyle Lonigan, um, which is a good, just, it, it colors so much of the movie, right? Because it establishes like this rule, like this alternate like society where there's apparently con men that rent out space to other con men for the purpose of yeah. executing cons. And also that this Doyle Lonigan figure is known and intimidating to this guy enough that he wants his flat rate rather than percentage it's, for this big con. It's another throwaway line with that landlord too is like, oh, and, and you, he's like, and you never seen the place before. And he's like, never heard of it. Never, <laughs> never like, heard of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, That's right. <laughs> exactly. Because they need to rent out the space across the street. Like They need the apartment to watch. To watch, yeah, yeah Doyle come and go, and everybody else come and go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love that. Like, And that they have this secret bar, you know, somewhere in Chicago where they can pull the list of names, and there's, like, a standing list of, like, bizarro names from people that happen to be in Chicago that are also con men. Um, so I, I love that about this movie, that, it, like, it, it sets up this, like, alternate universe that exists behind what is actually going on in Chicago. John Wick underworld. Yeah, it, it, I was actually reminded of John Wick watch, watching it this time, that it, it just feels like it's this world with a whole different set of rules, and here they are. Ocean's Eleven does this too, where yeah. it's like, they just have like a known group of people, that, a specialist that they go to. Right, It's their right. crew. Yeah. It's their crew, right. But you gotta build the crew, it's like part of the... <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and this movie kind of does that on a bigger scale, right? Because yeah. like, like um, Henry Gondorf, the, the new main character, says, like, you can only get together two or three hundred guys, <laughs> right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious because Redford had been working with two other guys before yeah, that. Yeah. And so well, it's I, the big con. It's the big con, exactly. And so I, I like that it's it's less about building, like, the team because you, you see the people that are, like, named or, like, have, like, a supporting extra role or whatever in the the facility and in the con, but it's it's less about, like, putting together this team and more about like the intricate plot that they devise. Um, and I like that about it, that it concentrates on like how they're jerking this guy around <laughs> yeah, rather than it's, it's a the great interpersonal heist. dynamics. It's so good, right? Yeah, I love that they like they build this whole like horse bedding place. <laughs> yes. Just from scratch. It's <laughs> yeah. so impressive to me that they do that. Right. And then it it relies on the ticker tape. Right, like that, like that. The ticker tape is a new technology, and like that's what they have to. Wait, what was the deal with that? So yeah, ticker tape. Were they giving like real horse race results? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because they know we could go check in the paper later on or whatever. He could just hear that yeah. this horse did or didn't actually win. Um, so they're delaying the results as they come in, and because they are telling him that there's this Western Union friend that they have that Kid Icarus, the guy. I want to say the guy with the mustache, but they're all with mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> like, the guy that hires everybody like, is, ends up playing him. And so the, the lie is that he is holding results for like a minute or two at the Western Union office at The Wire and then releasing them, and that is what they're hearing. And there's enough of, de of delay in the radio that yeah. what he's hearing is can be plausibly announced. Yeah. Concurrent with that. So they are hearing the real results and delaying them a bit. Right. But yeah. the announcement is obviously manufactured, right? Like what, what the guy is saying is coming from in the building. Right? He's just in a back room somewhere. All right. And that's that's the scheme. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, it's complicated and so specific to the era. Like you really couldn't do that story and it, it said at any other time. Right, like, right. It it's just, like it's a pre-TV era, right? Because these days you'd have yeah. a TV set up in exactly. the horse race right? area. Exactly, right. And the, the movie would, the, the whole narrative would fall apart if anyone has access to information outside of the city of Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Right? Now you can do like, yeah, off-track betting. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, this is off-track betting, right? Like they're not yeah. at the track. Yeah. <laughs> they are off. Um, so yeah, that that's the scheme. Uh, it didn't, didn't horse race betting feature in the casino as well, like, a tiny bit, probably. Or was it just general sports betting? I think it was. It was just sports betting. Okay. Although horse racing was probably a part of it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's like he sets the the mark. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's right. Bosses in there. Yeah, they're gambling. And <coughs> they're gambling. You know, yeah. now, which is legal now. <laughs> we can all we can all go gamble. Yeah. Um, Soon in Jersey we can go. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the other uh, joke that I like, uh, I guess there's a lot of jokes that I like, but I love when. Doyle insists on meeting the guy that's doing this, that, that is yeah. holding the results for a minute and then releasing him. And so they dress up as painters and bring the and kick that guy out of his office, paint half of his wall and leave. Yeah. And they just and leave just, it there. He just shows up afterwards and there's like half a green wall on the opposite his desk. Like that fucking cracks who, me up. Who was that guy? Just some guy. Just they just, some guy. Did they just barge into some random person? Yeah. Office? They just lied. They just said that like the guy the guy upstairs yeah. said that there's a work order for to paint your office because they needed something to show Lonigan that looked like a real yeah. office. And so they found one. With Not the right even to show them to look like a real office. They show them for like two seconds right. and they say, we have to meet somewhere else because it's being Yeah, it's painted. like, let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's like, my, my other favorite little my bit God. there is that they, they switch out the pictures. <laughs> they yeah. Have, they have the pictures of the, the Kid Icarus character and with who the hell knows who he's with. And they take the guy's wife's picture off there and swap them out. <laughs> and then he switches it back when he leaves. Mm -hmm. you got to quickly do the switcher for <laughs> yeah, the, the office just, guy to come back. Like, it's, it's a movie that's so concerned with like those kind of little details. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't feel like stifling because of that. Like These details just feel like, like fun jokes rather yeah. than like being like, oh, these overly guys are, meticulous. These guys are clever. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's kind of cute to see. <clears throat> and I like that about it. Um, for sure, Brick, which we've mm -hmm. did in a previous episode, was yeah. influenced by this film. Without uh, a doubt, yeah. Yeah, with this, particularly the language of Brick, like mm -hmm. all the like old-timey kind of... Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, weird terms for stuff. Like, <laughs> like kind of don't make sense. Yeah. Like, I, and I don't know how... How much, how accurate the language in this movie is? Like, did people really say Jake to mean good? They've, I have no idea. They've acknowledged in Brick that it was just made up. Right, in like, Brick it was made yeah. up. I might have yeah. been for this movie as well. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I love that about it that they're just like playing with language like that, and like, and that everybody has really weird names. Like, I love all the bizarre names in this movie. Yeah, like uh, Hooker, like Hooker Gandorf. Like every time they Gondorf. say Gondorf, I thought of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Same. sounds like Gondorf. Right, Henry Gondorf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I which mean, was a document at the time. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like in the poker scene when Paul Newman keeps fucking up Lonigan's name. Yeah, <laughs> and he has. <laughs> got so mad. And he gets yeah. so fucking pissed. Settle down, Lonerman. <laughs> Loggerman. Yeah, Loggerman. And it just gets worse and worse as he, as he goes. Um, and I also love that he like gets instantly sober as soon as he wins. Yeah. <laughs> like, as soon as he gets it, he's like, oh, now I'm good. I can force my money and like say you're going to kill yourself. Who like, knew yeah. that you could water down gin and have it still smell like gin? I don't know if that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so many Wait, they, didn't, they didn't sniff it, so it didn't have to pass, right? It was just water. 
No, I, I, he rubbed it on himself. Yeah, he too, like uses it as aftershave. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that was before he watered it down, I guess. And, and uh, mouthwash. Yeah, and it was before he watered it down because he has a scene where he's dumping out like half of it into the sink. Yeah. And filling the rest of it with water. Um, yeah. So he's drinking like some gin during there because I think he wanted it to be on his breath and stuff like that. We should get a bottle of beef eater for like. Eleven bucks and test this. <laughs> yes, test exactly. this theory. Does <laughs> yeah. it? Can you smell it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how how well did this movie get you? Like at the end when everybody gets pretend shot. Like, did you, were you in on it or not? When they started shooting, I was like, ah, this is this has got to be part of it. <laughs> okay. I figured, yeah. I remember because when I first saw it, when I was like. 12 or whatever like I was totally blown away like yeah. I, I thought like up until like Redford opens his eyes like oh everybody's dead <laughs> oh my god yeah I was like I can't believe this movie went there gotcha. yeah, they, they started shooting each other and it seemed a little fishy and I'm like oh okay so the FBI are actually in on it then yeah no I I was totally yeah. snookered up uh, right up until that moment um, but you would you what you saw this when you were a kid too right yeah okay well I mean do you I don't remember my reaction okay but the <clears throat> F I I realized when they first met the FBI in this movie that all right yeah. that they're in on it. <coughs> there's more yeah. going on here. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of like stuff that got me. The cold open like kind of got me, but then I was like, oh, it, it took me a second to like realize to, to what figure was out what he did. Yeah, yeah, and because um, he already had an identical <coughs> like handkerchief wrap pouch in his in pants. His, in his pants. Yeah, yeah, and he just swaps them out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they never. I thought the movie never like sits down and explains that. Yeah. Like they have a couple throwaway lines where it's like, oh, I think I'm taking too long with the switch, and like then another character calls it like I used to pull that switch, like way back when. And like that's as much explanation as you get. Like they never have yeah. this, like some character that's like, oh, how'd you do that? It's like a thieves code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there there is so much thieves like lingo in here. Like they that meeting that they have. In like the carnival slash whorehouse <laughs> that Paul Newman lives in, um, where they keep talking about like trying to pull the big con, and they have like different names for the various different types of cons that they can pull. And again, yeah. no explanation for what it is. It's just like, well, we're gonna. It's just world building. Yeah, it is. And it's like we're gonna pull a wire, and it's like, well, and everybody knows what that means. <laughs> and, like, All right, let's that, do the wire. Let's do it. Ocean's Eleven stole that too. Yeah. Yeah, because they, they, they do that in the modern Ocean's Eleven. They just, like, have all this lingo about, like, different types of heists. Yeah, and it's a blast, yeah. right? Like, it's it's yeah. it's just fun stuff. Yeah. I, I think it, it builds the characters. It, and it suggests this camaraderie, I think. Like, yeah. it, it stands in for, like, establishing a history with these guys because the, the history is just established with the language. Like, they have this mutual understanding of what everything means, so they must have done something earlier. Yeah, must yeah be they seem really, there. like, cool and confident. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. rather than, like, morally bad, too. They're, they're yeah. like, workers. Like, it's... Right, yeah. and it, it feels like, like a what, trade. Yeah, it is yeah. It is a trade. Yeah, and, yeah. and like, at the Gondorf character makes that point where, like, how, how earlier when he was in Atlantic City or something that all the cops were on the take and everybody was a con man or everybody was like a tourist or a mark and it just felt like working, right? Like that he would, he would just show if up. He said it became a business. Right, exactly. And he's like, what, what, what fun is that? Like if you're not, if, if n there's no risk to it. Yeah. And he can just like show up every day and like be a con man and that's the gig. Um, one interesting bit about the movie is the beginning of the movie feels like it's <clears throat> making kind of like an anti-racist like statement. Where like the people that like Hooker's working with are right, all, it's a black family, all black in the yeah. '30s, yeah. which would have been like pretty radical. Mm -hmm. And he's like 
friends and almost like a family member. Right. Well, he's like yeah. the the protege for this guy, right? Yeah. Like yeah. He sees him as you're right, like a son. Um, but even in the '70s, that feels like a very radical move. This is what from '73. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. um, to have that is interesting. Unfortunately, they don't end up being main characters. But oh, that guy gets killed off, and then you never see any of the yeah. again. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. They the because they work with uh, Black Guy later in the film, who's like helping them. Like right, you never people. see those specific people. Yeah, yeah you, don't you don't see those see people again. But yeah. but they've left Chicago where they live. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. Or they left Detroit, small town, Joliet. Illinois. Joliet. Oh, they left Joliet. Okay. It says right at the beginning, Joliet, Illinois, 1936. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then they reference it later on when the cop shows up. And shows his badge, and the Paul Newman's wife says, "Like that's a Joliet badge. Yeah. It's not going to hold much weight around here." So okay. they they move from Joliet, right? Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting to see that, and like the people who are racist in the movie are like punished for it, right? And right. Like it it does a pretty clear shown job. to be dumb. Yeah, shown to be dumb, and yeah. like they they really mark very clearly the good guys and the bad guys. This is not a movie concerned with moral ambiguity. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Every all of the comments that we like that are charming are the, are definitely the good guys and are only acting in the interest of avenging their friend and they're only doing it because this is the only life that they know and they even have like Redford denied the money at the end so it wasn't even about the money it was about the honor. It was about his friend. Exactly. And then like the bad guy is this crooked cop and he's bad because he's crooked and he's beating up the guys that we like and it's Doyle on again and kills people over an yeah. amount of money that won't support him for two days. And it's like very black yeah. hat, white hat kind of stuff. <laughs> I think it needs to be though with like such a complicated Oh yeah, I think it's plot, the right like, move. Yeah, it's, it's fine to have like, up even further. good yeah. and bad people. Right, right. And, well, and you do get a little bit of muddling where you the, the audience thinks that Hooker has betrayed his friend and he really hasn't. Yeah. Um, so there's like that. It's like, oh, he might be a bad guy, but he's really perfectly yeah, good. They're thieves. <laughs> they're, they are thieves, too. Right. But they're like stealing money from bad people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. You, and you have this sense of it that like it's everyone's in on the game, yeah. right? Like that there's this understanding, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that they're not getting rich off of it. Right, it'd be one thing if they were all thieves and, like, you know, stealing stuff from people that you know legitimately need it, or like hoarding a lot of money. But like, they're all pitched as like basically working class guys. Yeah. Um, which is again, it, it, it suggests like this trade type approach to being a con person, and like they even like have a union hall basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that that's intentional, right? Like yeah. setting them up as as workers. Yeah, that that kind of reminds me of something I noticed about the <coughs> set design mm -hmm. in this movie. Is that like all the locations and all the settings felt very grimy? Yes, uh, and like kind of dirty and run down. So it kind of emphasizes that aspect of it, right? That they're very working class, um, yeah. right? And they're like just everything is kind of dirty, right? And yeah, it, they they make the rich guy the villain, right? Which is easy to do, and like even the place they set up like as to be the nice betting hall is like. Oh, kind of nice, but it's also kind of small and cramped, and yeah. <laughs> it, right. And, and I, you're right. It, the the set design here suggests uh, a lower class upbringing. Yeah. Um, so th I think what uh, what we we need to talk about Redford a little bit. We spend a lot of time on on Newman, but um, Redford is really the lead here. Um, do we was he effective? Like appropriately charming? Like what do we think about? Uh, 
Robert Redford. Yeah, he was pretty convincing, I'd say. Yeah, well, he's, he's a con man. He's supposed yeah. to convince you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Then it worked. <laughs> it worked, yeah. Because um, we saw him before in All the President's Men, uh, which would have been a little bit after this. Um, and he was on a bit of a tear. Just, he was very famous at yep. this point, following up with Cassidy. Um, and yeah, I think that he does, like, like Newman, uh, does a really good job here. I think that it's, he's like a, he's charming, but, and like, there's a brash youth to the performance, mm -hmm. I think, but still does this consistent competence, right? Like, you get the sense that he's, he's good at the thing he does. And this movie embraces the idea that just seeing someone do something that they're good at is entertaining in its oh, yeah. own right. And I think that sometimes movies lose that thread. Right? There's little but, things that I do like when he <coughs> sets up the little piece of white paper on his door to yeah. make sure nobody's in, invaded his home. And it works. Uh, and he, like, they don't have to explain to you what he's doing. Yeah. You just kind of figure it out, right? So that reminded me of what you said about Chinatown when uh, he, uh, what, he did something with like the cars. What was it? I know they, what you're they talking didn't explain, about. They didn't explain, but it turned out to be really clever. Maybe he knocked out some of the rear lights or something I like that. I think something like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it, it rings a bell. Wait, what? In Chinatown, um, the Jack Nicholson character does a thing like that where he sets up something early in the it film. It pays off later, but they don't explain to you what he did. You kind of figure it out. Um, and it, you're right. He does it's like really rewarding. Manipulate the car or something. He shatters the red. The yeah, red so light you were right. Back. Yeah, you were right. That yeah. is what it is. The, that he can follow the, it. Yeah, the real light. Makes so. him easier to follow. Yeah. 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 So here he he arrives back, and the paper has been disturbed, and mm -hmm. he evades an assassination attempt. So one of several pays off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has a he has a couple like near misses there because he has that one, and then he has like the gag in not the gag, but like the bit in the diner where he hides out in the bathroom. Yeah. And he has to tell. Uh, Loretta to op to go to the bathroom and open the window, right? Yeah. And it's important that she opens the window so they think that he hopped out the window to get out. Um, and like just like those little and then it failed moments. anyway. And then it doesn't work, right? Like that's the other thing. He hops out there and just like turns the wrong way around the corner, and there's the guy. One of the things that I thought was a little confusing this <laughs> watch through was um, it's unclear totally if. So Lonigan's like he gave the orders to like kill whoever stole yeah. from me, right? Yes. And that's why like all these assassins are trying to kill Robert Redford. Um, but then he meets Robert Redford later, um, thinking he's Kelly. Thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is a little confusing. He doesn't know. It's like, Redford. does he know Redford is the guy that stole money from him? No, no, no. no. He, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't know who, what Johnny Hooker looks like. Yeah. And like that's another thing that makes. But then, this, why do the assassins all know? They know where he lives. That, that, that's just it. They know they know a neighborhood, and they've they've already spotted him a couple times, gotcha. right? So they okay. they know they because the first time they know what his apartment is, right? Yeah. So the first time they're in there, the first time they see him is when he's hopping down the stairs, yeah. running away from them out of his apartment. From there, they know what he looks like. But this is 1936, so they don't have cameras. They can't take a picture mm -hmm. of him. Right. There's so no they, cell phones. Right. There's yeah. no cell phones. So yeah. they they know that. He lives in this neighborhood that eventually that he frequents this diner. Yeah. And then they can track him down, but they cannot say, they cannot go to Lonigan and say, it's this guy, look yeah. at this picture that I have. Um, so again, like, I, it, it's one of those little things that like makes this movie really era specific and also really well constructed. Yeah. Right? That you have this tension. Because and then there's this latent tension that like, what if Lonigan does figure out that Robert Redford is, is the guy, is Hooker yeah. and not Kelly? I, I thought that's what it was, but it was like, wasn't totally clear. Yeah, no, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Like, they, what, he literally doesn't know what he looks like. Um, off subject, the diner 
I had to look up Blue Plate Special because I knew that it was either cheap or expensive and was not sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's cheap. It's, it's cheap. cheap. Okay. Yeah, it's like I whatever. It was, it was like one thing that they would make and it would just be the cheapest meal of the day. Yeah. His that's plate it. wasn't blue. It's a ripoff. Yeah, that's a misnomer apparently. Right. Um, but yeah, blue. I, I don't know yeah. if places still make blue plate specials. I'm sure it's like somewhere. Kmart still does a blue light special, I know. Okay. Which was similar in concept where it just they would say like a certain item is a blue light special. And okay, it would be it's like sale. discounted. Okay. Yeah. And then he got his food. I and think like Kmart left. still exists. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, the thing. yeah. <laughs> well, it's the cheap thing that just they just make a lot. Of <laughs> Should have got the meatloaf. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Although it typically was meatloaf apparently. Okay. But it would rotate. It wasn't always like one dish. Uh, well, yeah. okay. Now we know. Yeah. Um, I, just, I, I, I just wanted to understand the context. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the other fun bit of yeah. trivia that I encountered <laughs> with this movie. Uh, and researching it is um, apparently Robert Shaw got hit with a tennis ball like two days before shooting and developed that limp. Like he doesn't naturally have a limp. I was, was wondering just, about He was that. just like incidentally injured playing, <laughs> playing tennis. So then he just limped through the whole So movie. then they just like, he, he like did early scenes with this limp and yeah. they just decided to keep it as a character trait throughout the whole movie because like by the time they're end shooting he's fine. It is a great like It's so good, right? Yeah, it makes the character. It's just like yeah. the, this little bit of flavor uh, for this guy. Um I thought I did end up thinking it made him seem more weak. Oh, really? Yeah. Cuz cuz he's like physically like weakened as well as like being played by all these guys. To me what it made me think is that he he had to do it himself at one point. Like at one point he was yeah. involved in some sort of altercation, some sort of fight. So he's not just the guy who tells people to do it. He's the guy that actually did it and rose up. Like that that's how I read it. Um, and I, I thought that was that. that was effective. Like that, that worked for, for the character. Yeah, and like Irish mobsters are always pra- portrayed as like kind of being work a day guys right. or like having a chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which this guy definitely did, right? Like yeah. it was all about vengeance. And like uh, Nichols- Nicholson and because um, <laughs> you know. Oh Nicholson in uh, in Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. No, um, the later heist movie, the, the Boston one. Oh, uh, Departed. Departed. Okay. Yeah, because there's like a whole thing about Irish. Yes, Irishness and very Bostony. Yeah, in Boston. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and the Departed. I like that movie, despite the. I, I think it's good too. Yeah. Not yeah. as bad of ending as Gangs of New York, but not great. Yeah, I remember yeah. enjoying it. Yeah, the Departed. Well, yeah, the, no, he, super clever. But the very last scene is the rat the like running rat across walks the across the screen. It's like, come on, I don't know, it's, it's not like, that big of a deal. It's an, again, <laughs> it's not not as it, bad as ending the movie with U 2s uh, <laughs> hands that built America. Still a dubious choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, Up there for worst ending of all time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I was reminded of, or who I was reminded of, watching The Sting this time, was J.J. Abrams, and I was thinking about, like, uh, I'll t- don't give me that look, I'll tell you why. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I just gave a very confused look to Wilson. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, because Abrams <laughs> has this, like, infamous or famous, depending who you are, TED Talk, where he talks about the mystery box, right, and how, like, concealing information from the audience is a good thing, and that it doesn't even, like, he literally says, it doesn't matter what's in the box, that as long as you yeah. make some sort of mysterious thing for the audience to wonder after, like, they will be compelled, and they will, they will follow your movie. It's just a stupid idea. It, it's so, such a shallow compulsion. Right, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it makes for dumb, bad movies without any substantial drama in it. 
And it, so I was because this movie conceals a lot of information from the audience like, yeah. throughout, right? Like we're not really clear on what the plan is until the very end. We don't know the role of the cops. We don't know who the um, assassin is that's going after Robert Redford. Like there's all sorts of stuff that we don't well, know. There should be like a reward for it. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, so I was thinking like why is my, I was thinking about why my response to The Sting is so drastically different than my response to, you know, any number of J.J. Abrams products like it's Star Trek Into Darkness or his Star Wars movie, things like that. Yeah. And I think that's it, is that there, the, the, con, the concealed information in this movie is concealed for a dramatic purpose. Right? It's, it's, yeah. con, it's concealed in a way that is, A, eventually re revealed at a moment that makes sense and, and, and informs the, uh, and, and seems controlled and chosen with purpose. And it is revealed in a way that it dramatizes the character's plight, right? And, and makes us feel differently about what these characters are going through as opposed to Abrams concealing, which is about the audience's plight. So when he tells you in Star Trek Into Darkness that, what's his name, the Cumberbatch character is actually Khan, yeah. means zero things to the characters and is only meaningful to the audience. Right? Yeah, he, whereas, he writes on a meta level. <coughs> right, exactly, whereas this movie doesn't do that. It's concerned about how it impacts the characters, yeah. and because we care about the characters, we therefore care about what happens in yeah. the movie and what the reveal is. Or, Versus like what it what Spielberg does, where like in say in Jurassic Park, where mm -hmm. like keep talking about the T Rex, like you know, <laughs> right, it's right. gonna be a T Rex, gonna be a T Rex, and, and then, then when, a T <laughs> when you see it, <laughs> yes. when you see it, it's incredible, <laughs> right? Because he delivers. It's, it's so magical, like when you actually see it, right? Whereas what Abrams yeah. does is he'll say there's gonna be something lost, being there's a great something. example of this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, although I, I, there's a lot of loss that I will still defend, um, but there are. Like the mysteriousness of it is not the what makes that show good because I think it is good. I like I like Lost, but it's good in spite of J.J. Abrams. Yeah. It's good because Lindelof is there to like kind of correct for some of his bullshit. I, yeah, mm -hmm. I like the first season a lot. Yeah, I even like more than that. The first season is really good, but I I am basically on board with Lost. But that was like the problem. Yeah, that was the problem because it was like when there's these just sounds coming out of the woods and lost. It's like, oh, this is like really cool and interesting. I'm like, right. what is this? Is it like a real Well, they do mystery? explain what it is. Yeah, but then it's like a, it's a letdown. It's not like, <laughs> it's it's not, yeah. they, first of all, they wait way <laughs> too long. Because it took like years yeah. for them That's to like the real reveal. Problem. Um, it, they and then when it did, they never, it just led to like another like, well, what's this? What's this thing? Yeah. It, it, Versus it, like when you, when you finally see Jaws and Jaws, it's like, it's a huge Whoa. thing. Right? Yeah. I mean, because the, 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 yeah. the, the promise is clear yeah. in those movies, right? Like, yeah. there's going to be a shark, <laughs> definitely, and it's going to be really big. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's going to be a dinosaur, and it's going to be loud and scary, yeah. right? Like, they, they're crystal clear about what the payoff is here. And, like, in this movie, they're, they're pretty clear about it. Like, there's going to be some sort of cool, you know, trick. Because we, we established in the very first scene of the movie that we can do cool tricks, yeah. and that there's a payoff for it, and that, like, Something will be cathartic and satisfying at the end of it. Yeah, right. They show you that they can do that. That's the, the uh, that's what, what this film does well. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, they it's part of the plot rather than just being the plot. Right. Exactly. And, and they parcel out this information in a way that is well paced, which lost fucked up, and meaningful. Right? Yeah. And I think that that's they, what that's what Abrams misses. He thinks that it's all about 
concealing information as an end in itself. And that's not it. You're concealing information for a purpose, and therefore you're revealing it with a purpose. And he doesn't understand that. Or you do the Tarantino route, where it's like it's a joke within the film. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, because Tarantino fiction suitcase. Yes, exactly yeah. like that. Like Tar yeah. Tarantino isn't making any promises. No, right? Like he's not saying like this is super important, and when you we show you what this is, it's going to no. really change the movie. But he, he is like laughing at the idea because when the yes. characters see it, they're all like really impressed, and yeah, yeah they are faces. There's a light shine. Face what is, is that what I think it is? Yeah, yeah. 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 My favorite because you still get he for years later, and probably still gets just people asking him what was in the suitcase. Yeah. And my favorite of his many bullshit answers was the light bulb. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. This is true, right? Yes, that's yeah. exactly what was in there. It was a light bulb. And it's yeah. like, yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly correct. All right. Um, yeah. any closing closing thoughts? I like this film. I'm glad I rewatched it. I'm glad you did too. Yeah. Uh, I can't say enough good things about this movie, honestly. Like it, it's to me it's just perfectly executes exactly what it means to do. Um, I, I feel like it's gotten a little bit lost in time for an Oscar winner. Like, mm -hmm. I, for sure. I think that it's not remembered alongside Butch Cassidy, and it's not as profound as that movie, but it is as fun, and it's maybe the funnest Oscar-winning movie, or Best Picture winner ever, period. Like, it's just a blast to watch, and like movies like that really don't win that often. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think it is... Worth watching. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. If you've seen it already, watch it again. Because, um, yeah, it's great. I do enjoy a good heist film. I just felt like <laughs> the style of the movie felt a bit dry for me because, like I, des I described before, a lot of the scenes are just people in a room talking to each other, right? And there's it's, nothing... It's not a modern film. Right, so. there's nothing added yeah. to it. Like, there's so many... So much of this movie has no music or anything We didn't talk about the music. It. So for the fucking entertainer, the Scott Dowling. Oh, yeah. so good. That was brutal. It's so good. No, that sounds great. <laughs> you guys are nuts. Brutal. It's, it's overplayed. <laughs> but like, the rest of the movie didn't have any music and it made it feel very dry and maybe a little sparse. But there's all those montages where they have various ragtime songs. The, right, but that was the still weird, the minority uh, of the movie. Like charcoal on paper. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the little <laughs> interstitials. Scene. Yeah, yeah, those are great. <laughs> you could have <laughs> cut all that; it would have been better. No, no way. <laughs> I think the chapter headings were cute and the art yeah. was nice, um, uh, but like just so many sections of it, just straight talking. Like I, I, I usually like that to be cut with a little bit of music or a little bit of cinematic flair or something I don't know, it's, like it's in the language. I think that's what I get out of it. I love all the weird old 60s words, or 60s, 30s words that they, yeah. they sprinkle in there. It's good stuff. All right. all right. Well, in any case, we will be back in a moment with things we've seen. Uh, stay tuned. And we're back with things we've seen where we discuss more recent films that we've seen in the theater or at home over the last week. Um, now, I didn't get around to seeing anything this week. It was a busy week for me. So Throwing too many axes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll go to Wilson first. Uh, yeah, well, I had a, I had saw several movies this weekend, uh, but the best one was The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Uh, so I was lucky I got to see, I got to see a, what well, was essentially a preview screening since this was opening weekend, but it was only playing at like two theaters. Um, and most of the cast and the director were there after the screening to do one of the, those awkward Q&As. Um, I saw it at the, the Landmark on 57th Street, uh, which is a pretty new theater and like the bougiest theater I've ever been to in my life. 57th and where? <laughs> 57th and it's like all the way on the west side. 
It's like right uh, on the water there. So it's a hike. Like you to, I had to walk yeah. like five long blocks. The to battery get theater is pretty bougie. The Which one? AMC 11 down on the battery. Yeah, it is. But this one is bougier. Really? Oh, yeah. The, okay. okay. <laughs> so it, A, it's like over by all those really fancy apartments over there that are Where, like, like no subway goes to. Yeah, no, A, no subway goes there because everybody has private drivers or whatever, helicopters or something. Yeah. And like every apartment is $3 million. Um, it has like a large full bar like, as soon as you go in. And, like, well, I like a movie theater with a bar. Yeah, and this isn't like, it, it, like you go to the bar at the Alamo and it's like mostly beer and like some like medium mixed drinks. Like this is like a full bar and they have like a specialty cocktail menu and sure. like the real deal. Um, the theater, the seats are all like leather seats that like recline back and every, even like the tiny theaters that they have there with like the little cup holders in there. So like it was a fancy looking theater. I think it was meant to, I think it's the replacement for the one on Houston, the Sunrise Theater on oh, Houston yeah. that closed and it's now a fucking office building or R. something. Yeah, seriously, like how did whatever community board let that happen, it should all be That was a good fired. theater. It was a great theater. It was yeah. such a good theater. And, they, and it, had, it had like historical significance. It was an old theater too. Yep. And now it's the bougiest theater in the world on 57th Street. Um, but I was, that was my first visit there. Uh, Miseducation at Cameron Post is a period piece that takes place in 1993. It stars Chloe Grace Mort Mort Mortez as the uh, title character as Cameron. Um, she is a lesbian um, in an evangelical family. She gets caught being, doing lesbian stuff and is set to a gay conversion therapy camp. So it kind of plays out like um, but I'm just a cheerleader, only not a comedy. <laughs> it's, it's that movie played straight. Um, Isn't there another gay conversion camp movie coming out? Too? Oh, is there? Maybe. I think there is. Okay, I guess it's the season. Yeah. Yeah, um, but this is one of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's good. I one of two competing. <laughs> gay conversion yeah. therapy camp movies. <laughs> it's like Dante's Peak and Volcano. <laughs> exactly yeah. like that. I was Ants just about to say, it's like yeah. White House Down and Olympus is falling. <laughs> yeah. Deep, yeah. Deep Impact and uh, Armageddon. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's like that. It's just like that. <laughs> um, now, this movie was, it was actually very good. Um, it was direct. It's a, a second feature, apparently, for this director. Her name is... Desiree Akaven. I'm not confident if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she was there at the screening and seemed very nice. Um, it's, it plays pretty much like a slice of life story from that point on. Um, so uh, the Cameron Post character is kind of a blank slate. She's, she acts as the audience surrogate into this world that looks very bizarre to us and feels very bizarre to her. Um, the audience that I saw with, in a, in a full house, um, which is pretty good for this pretty small release, I uh, found a lot of humor in this movie, but uh, evidently a lot of the weird gay conversion stuff that they do is true to life. So, mm -hmm. like, they have this, one of the concepts that they put forward is cannibal theory. And so what they tell young gay youth at these conversion camps is that, no, they were not in love with that other 14-year-old who happened to be the same sex as them. They saw something that they admired in that 14-year-old and wanted to take it into themselves as a cannibal would, which is fucking bizarre and horrifying. Um, but apparently a thing that they actually tell these kids at these camps. Uh, so it is evidently, a, it's based on a book and evidently something close to what happens in real life. Uh, John Gallagher, who you'll remember from um, the John Goodman monster movie, the Cloverfield movie. Oh. 10 Cloverfield Lane, yeah. the dude in that, is the camp counselor in this movie who claims to have gone to this therapy and 
it worked. He's not gay anymore. <laughs> he, he actually prayed away the gay. Um, he gives a great performance uh, where he, you can see that he kind of understands that this isn't actually, like gradually realizing that this isn't working. You mean working. the character, not the actor, right? Y yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. John Gallagher. The did. way that you phrase it. Okay. I'm sorry. Like I didn't mean to. Say that he in real life. No, no, not actual okay. John Gallagher. Um, totally possible. There's yeah. tons of weird Hollywood stuff. That's so. true. No, that, <laughs> as far as I know, that did not actually happen to him. Yeah. Um, but you can see the character uh, gradually realize that what he's doing is wrong and horrifying, but also they play it in a sympathetic way because he thinks he's actually doing a good thing. Like in his heart, he believes he's acting justly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also great to see uh, Sasha Lane in this movie. Um, if anyone saw American Honey that came out two years ago, um, she was an actor that uh, Andrea Arnold literally found on the street and like, just recruited into her movie and she was fantastic and it's great to see her career continue from there. Mm -hmm. um, she plays like the rebel lesbian in this movie that smokes pot and like breaks out of <laughs> camp all the time and stuff like that. Um, it's a simple movie, it is a heartfelt movie, it feels sincere, it feels like something that was made to tell a story in a straightforward, honest, clear way that needs to be told and yeah, it, it matters for that sense. Um, so I, I recommend it. It was good. It's a quick watch. It's 90 minutes. Um, it can use the viewership, that's for sure. Uh, so if it's if it's playing near you, go check it, near you, go check it out, um, or watch it on streaming in like three months or whenever, because <laughs> that's probably where it's going to end up. The uh, competing gay conversion camp movie is called Boy Erased. Oh, okay, yeah. It's a Joel Edgerton film. I like Joel. He's yeah, a, he's a good actor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess there's a. He uh, he's directing it. Okay, he directed something else too. Did he direct The Gift? I think he might have directed The Gift. Maybe. Yeah. He was also in it. Yes. Written by, produced by, directed by Joel Edgerton. Wow. Which so. a triple threat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also looks like an Oscar bait movie. Okay. This one is much too independent for that. Um, it looks pretty small, low budget. Uh, they were saying that they filmed it in a very short period. Um, I, I think it's going to be struggling to find screens, um, which is why it's getting released in August instead of, you know, late October or whatever. But... Um, it's good, and if you can seek it out, you should go. You should go watch it. Uh, what did you see this week, Crossman? Anything good? Uh, yeah. So a few weeks ago, I spoke about the Purge. Um, there's a number of Purge movies. There's like four now, right? There's one in the theaters right now, which is Purge Four, which right. is the prequel to the series. <laughs> um, I watched Purge Two, which is called Purge Anarchy. All right. Um, I really like the original Purge, um, and I actually think Purge Anarchy is better. Interesting. Um, which is, yeah, it, it is interesting. So this movie rings out at 56% um, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, like, not a huge, like, vote of confidence for <laughs> a film. Um, I, like, when it gets into the 50s, like, that, that to me suggests a divisive film. Yeah. Not, a, not a necessarily a bad film, which uh, can often be the most interesting ones. That's true. Yeah. Um, so this, uh, this is a very different movie from the first movie. I think the first movie was just... Per, just like a straightforward, um, like a thriller, thriller home invasion movie. You know, there's a lot of home invasion movies. Sure. It's just one that has like a slightly different politic to it, but at its heart, it's just like a home invasion <coughs> movie. Um, there's there's a lot more going on in in the purge anarchy. Um, so whereas the first film was like a very contained film, mm -hmm. this one is more out among the purge, which I think is like what the audience is like expecting right. from the first movie, which mm -hmm. it didn't deliver on. <laughs> um, this movie stars uh, Frank 
Grillo and a number of other actors. It's a very diverse cast. Um, Michael K. Williams is in it. Um, nice. From The Wire, he's great. Um, he, his role is small. Um, there's a woman named Carmen Ejogo, sure. I think is how to say her name. Um, she's great. Uh, there's, there's uh, um, it's, it's a good like ensemble cast. Um, Frank Grillo, though, is the main guy, and he's kind of like, He's basically the Punisher of this film. Does where, he end up actually playing the Punisher at some point? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, right. um, but I've seen him in a few other films, and he's really good. And I want to see more of Frank Grillo. He's one of these kind of late in life famous actors, mm -hmm. um, and he's doing action films, and he he does them really well. And he looks like an action star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He's he's awesome. So he's uh, he's been wronged. In this film, a uh, drunk driver killed his son. And okay, so he's gonna go get the driver. He's gonna go get the get driver. Okay. Um, but then, uh, <laughs> in a moment of moral clarity, he decides to save a couple who are in in trouble. Okay, great. Uh, um, and then it becomes like um, they sort of build a small group, and they have to like make it through the purge to like a safe sure. uh, house. Um, what's great about this? film is um, I, I think it continues with the sort of good politics of mm -hmm. the first film. It really starts to bring home um, the notion that there are unwanted people in society and the solution for this society is to kill those people. In the streets. And it's <laughs> explicitly in this film non-white people. Interesting. And furthermore, the film underlines the notion that if you have wealth, that will protect you in this society. Okay. Because um, to you, as as a wealthy person, the purge is akin to like Halloween. If you're a poor person, <laughs> it's terrifying, and right. every day or every hour within the purge is is horrifying. And leading up to the purge is dread. Is yeah. complete dread. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So there's a few great things that happen in this film. Um, one of which is uh, that the actors at one point get captured and they are auctioned off to rich people to, to get murdered. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and they're put into essentially like a, a paintball course. Okay. And these rich people are like choosing their weapons and then going down to the paintball course and like hunting the... Hunting the most dangerous they're, game. Yeah, so that's the most dangerous game. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It's the most dangerous game. Um, and it's so... Uh, it's it's trauma like trauma the production company in that it's like so irreverent in <laughs> pointing how awful these people are right. and, and how morally corrupting wealth is in this film. I think that's a great message. Indeed. And as opposed to earlier in the film where uh, a neighbor of two of the main characters, so there's a mother daughter in the film as well. Um, they're. Uh, um, they live together and they kind of board up their apartment. But the mother has this like run in with this kind of like drunk neighbor earlier in the film, and he's like offering to protect her mm -hmm. uh, in a very overtly creepy way. Um, and then he breaks into their apartment and he's ready to like murder them. And it, what it, what he says is, "It's the purge. It's my right." And he really like underlines the notion of like okay. how people embrace their rights, their constitutional rights in particular, because this is like a constitutional right in this, and how 
as opposed to like what is morally correct yeah. versus like what is like your right as as American and in the society, purge is your right. Um, and then he he ends up getting owned, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, not by the couple. Um, the the government. Um, there's there's like a, a subplot where the, the government is going around and kind of rounding up people for the rich people to get to murder. Okay, sure. Because they're like spurring the purge. Got it. Um, and so kind of this government like SWAT team like kills him in their search for these like two women who they want to like uh, okay. capture. But what it really underlines in the film is that like this is just some like poor jerk who thinks like it's his right to do the purge and he's going to celebrate and participate in it. But in reality, it's not. He's just like one other victim of the purge. But he doesn't right. recognize like his his victimhood in in that sense. Or uh -huh. he, the, as an American, assumes his right is to celebrate the purge. And it's really in nice. reality, it's not. It's not for him. It's for the rich. Uh, Got it. That's uh, interesting. In the society. Um, that was very spoiler laden. But I think this <laughs> film is really good. Uh, yeah. I think what it does is is interesting politically. I think it's actually. I I wish this were a better. Pre I think people just think of these as like kind of dumb horror movies, and they are like at their heart they are, but they have like a really good politic to them. Like there's an idea to this film, mm -hmm. which is rare in filmmaking <laughs> yeah, right now. Enough. And I think this production company um, is interesting. They're the the Blumhouse production company. Okay. They produce the Poltergeist movies and a few other like kind of cheap horror films. Yeah, what you'd mentioned before. Gone on to like make hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And I think what this production company is good at is finding an idea within a film and promoting that idea and and uh, you know encouraging filmmakers to, you know, focus on like what the idea of the film is and not like Yeah, well and, and yeah. horror is so yeah. particularly well suited to that, like literalizing yeah. your concept. Yeah. Right, like that is kind of what it's for in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so it makes sense that they would gravitate towards mm -hmm. the type of movies that they've made. Yeah, it's, uh, this film is like very close to Escape from New York in concept, but awesome. not as like... Um, funny? Not as stylized. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not as funny. Yeah. It's, yeah, there is like a dread to like what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely like similar. Um, so I'm gonna keep watching the Purge okay, series. So okay, what's I've been the next like, one? Very impressed. So the next one is Purge Election. Election year. year. Yeah. Election um, year. <laughs> and then the the one that's in theaters right now is the first Purge. The first Purge. I think the, it's the called. How yeah. gory or disturbing are these movies? So one thing I <laughs> don't like about this film is not gory enough. And and both both of these films actually is they they used like digital blood. Yeah. Um, which I heard uh, someone else talking about it on another podcast um, and it looks really bad <laughs> I wish they would just use the like dye, real blood dye pack blood yeah mm -hmm. um, yeah they're they're violent I don't know if I would say that they're like gory they're not like a saw style film where you're seeing people like getting saw their cut leg out. off there are violent things that happen in the film mm -hmm. um but I wouldn't say that they're like over the top gory. Like it's not like even Tarantino films are gorier than. Okay. Like it's like action movie violence, not like horror slasher violence. This one is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because again, it's like a you know they're moving through a city. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, I'll, to, I'll I'll put it on the list here. You're talking me into these things. 
Yeah, I'm really liking the series so far. Okay, right on. So um, we'll get election year next week? Yeah. So you think? All right. <laughs> it's a deal. Um, what else are we watching next week, Tom? What's your pick? Uh, I would like to kind of stick to the crime genre. Okay, great. Uh, I'd like to do Fargo. Oh, yeah. More yeah. Clone Brothers always a good thing. Yeah. This is another movie I've seen many, many times. Same. Super into it. Um, all right, yeah. well, thanks for listening, everybody. And if you like the show, please share it. Please tell your friends about it. Please like us on Facebook. And join us next week for Fargo.